Well, welcome everybody. Who's had a great day? It's been a great day, hadn't it? We had sunshine and it wasn't too cold. It was absolutely wonderful. This is the table I was at last week. It's good to see you all ladies. Maddie's not here. You're a new face. Yeah. Sarah. My name's Christine. It's good to meet you. <laughs> uh, did everybody find their country to be with tonight? Everybody find their country? Is anybody looking for their country? Okay. They, they found their country. Super. Do we have Candace Thompson with us tonight? Woo! Candace, would you please stand up? Yeah. This is Candace Thompson. She does all the admin stuff. She's been behind the scenes, and this is the first shine she's been to since we've started. <laughs> Thank you for what you do, Candace. Can everybody give her a hand? <laughs> Thank you. That's wonderful. How many of you have the Road app on your phones? Oh, wow. Wow, you ladies are amazing. I thought maybe four or five hands would go up. Yeah, the Road app is wonderful. And something that I just learned this last week was that if you have the Road app, even if you don't use it that much, if there's a snow day or there's an emergency or just a, a special message from the road, they'll do, they do like a push. They call it a push something or another, and you'll get that. So it's good to know if something's going on or if we have snow, you'll get that, that push message that'll come through. So I thought that's pretty cool. What they can do, I mean, how many of you grew up with a phone? The, the aliens are coming. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> they're hovering, they're hovering, or is this the rapture? <laughs> uh, um, where was I? Oh, how many of you remember having the phone that was attached to the wall with a cord that was about this long? Then they got the cords that were yay long that you could go around the corner and have a private conversation. But it would get all wound up, you know. And now we have no cards. And now we can go anywhere we want with our phones. So now they can push messages through. That It's just amazing what they can do. But anyhow, um, how about this canvas? What do y'all think? Isn't it beautiful? What are some of your thoughts when you look at it? Serenity, peace, what? Pretty, cheerful, sunshine, yes. Yeah, that's all beautiful. That's kind of, those are kind of adjectives that would describe y'all, describe us. When I looked at it, I thought it reminded me of the rainbow, the colors of the rainbow, the colors of promise. And you know, when God created woman, after the fall, he talked about how the promised one would come through her. Yeah, I don't know what Jan's doing, but it's beautiful. I knew you were I have no idea. This is the artist over here, and she's, she's got something in her mind. But all of these things that we see, that was, that's what came to my mind was the promised one. You ladies, these are the colors of the rainbow. And they kind of represent who we are. And the promised one is coming, came through Eve. 
came through Mary and is coming through each one of you. Um, from PB and J this morning, um, uh, Isaiah 54, 2 to 5. This really stood out to me, and I, I really felt like it was a word for somebody here. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. And these are three things I think all of us tend to deal with to be afraid of. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. I just pray you'd be encouraged with that. Yes. Shame, disgrace, and humiliation. Who here wants to sign up to be shamed, to be disgraced or be humiliated? And how many times do we not do things because we're afraid of shame, disgrace, or humiliation? We're redeemed from that. And God says, do not fear them. That's what he died on the cross for. He died on the cross to take those for us. We can, we can, we can reach out. We can strengthen our cords. We can lengthen. We can open our curtain and allow the Lord to come in and allow his love to go out. I just really believe that's a word for us ladies. Um, anyhow, well, we are going to have, we have a real treat tonight. Uh, Barb is going to come up. Barb Gilzone is going to come up. And I had asked her if she would just share a little nugget tonight about some of her journey with womanhood. Yeah. And um, so anyhow, I think we're, we're on. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe. There we are. Okay. How many of you can say you have always embraced what it means to be a woman and that you have delighted it in, in your heart. Show me. Wow. Just a few hands. All right. Well, then the rest of you will identify with me. I did not. In fact, it's been a long healing process. I was the youngest of nine, as I told you before. My mother was orphaned at the age of three. Her mother died, and she was left on an orphanage step, and her father said, I'll be back, and he never came back. So my mother was a broken woman who did not understand her identity, nor could she give it to her own daughters. So I had a very broken identity of a woman. It was eight years ago when my mother passed away, and God had been working on me. When I was 17, God touched my heart, even then when I wasn't saved. I wasn't raised by my parents the whole time. I was tossed around in multiple homes. But something started working on my heart. And I wrote to my mother. She lived in Michigan at the time. And I said, 
I ask you to forgive me for what I have done to you because you did the best that you knew to do, whether it was what I needed or not. That was very, very healing to my mother and the beginning of many things that God was doing in my life. So I want to talk about the power of one through the hunger of one. God began to work in ways I could not understand. And even through the disappointments of my marriage early on, and God began to rebuild me. I remember meeting one woman who was contrary to anything I'd ever seen before. At the time, I didn't know that that was a biblical model of femininity. But in my heart, I said, if I could be just one ounce like her, God, I would be blessed. And through a process of time, God began to work on me and change who I was and what I valued. Now, when I married my husband, I told him, I'll have your children, but I will never raise them. My idea of a woman was that they're weak, petty, not worthy to be friended with, and I avoided every contact with women as much as I could. So you do not know how far God has brought me until you know that from my background. So when I looked at women and people would say, oh, come to this women's retreat and speak. And I'm like, oh, why would I want to do that? Oh, women are not valuable. You have to remember, I came from a life of being broken. And it seemed like the only thing that mattered were men. So eight years ago, God touched my heart after I lost my mother. And we'd gone through a lot of healing. And I had, at that point, embraced being a mother. I was home full-time. There's just so many things I can't go into. But what I can say is this. He said to me, you hate being a woman. And you have always desired that you were a man. Okay, you're right. And so when he brought that to light, I went to my Bible study group and I confessed the hidden thoughts of my heart. And God began to do a work in a way that I didn't understand until I met Christine. <laughs> so I met Christine and I saw something in her again, that power of hunger. I saw something that was not like anything I'd known and God was healing that feminine identity in me. I began to desire mentors in my life that were women. And I said to her, will you be my mentor? And she said, well, let's meet. <laughs> so we meet, and she goes, absolutely not. We're just too much. No, we're in the same place. But I, I would be happy for us to walk together. And then she decided to do five aspects again and said, would you like to join? <laughs> okay, all women, really? You want me to do this? God, really? I didn't do the woman thing, but I know you're trying to heal me of this. Okay, I'll do it. And because of what I saw in her, I was willing to do it. I'm telling you, God did things through that time. And I just want to encourage you, embrace the scriptures as you're encountering them this semester. Whether it's through the redeemed, whether it's through the created, whether it's through uh, the fallen. I saw my picture fully in fallen. And then I got the scriptural basis for who I had become in the redeemed. 
and I saw the beauty that God had done because I hungered for truth, even when I didn't know all the scriptural foundation for what I was hungering for. But he kept putting models out there. He kept putting things in there. And now, come to shine, and I go, wow, yeah, let's do shine. That's great. Women, I want to be around women. (laughs) And so that's the power of God to heal. Wow, that's awesome. It's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, that is great. You want me to turn this off, Greg? Okay. Yeah, you do it all back there. Yeah. Yes, Lord, we're ready. <laughs> Isn't that a neat testimony? Isn't that a neat testimony? That is just so neat. You know, it makes you wonder who are you modeling for? We're all models. What kind of model are we? What are we modeling? What are we modeling? God's design? The world's design? Satan's design? We're all models. And what are we modeling? And um, I just, I mean, Barb, she, it's not that I didn't want to mentor her. I just, we're the same age and the same stage. We're just good friends walking together. And, you know, there's, there's the older, younger, and then there's just the friends where we just walk together through life. And she has things that imparts to me, and I have things to impart to her. And this is, this is what we have to share our wisdom, to, the togetherness. Of, of scripture and the togetherness of womanhood of the the younger and the older and the older and the younger and those of us that are all the same age as long as we're together everything's better shared doesn't matter the age or the stage it's just sharing life together the challenges and the not so challenges and the joys of being together and i i'm praying that that's what will be happening in your d groups that y'all can share the joys and the challenges and lean into each other and the hard times and the good times. This is, what, this is what causes us to be close and strong. We're much stronger together than we are apart. So thank you, Barb. That's really neat. I, I was the same way. I didn't want anything to do with women's groups. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was a tomboy. I used to beat boys up. I was the first pick for football at recess. You know, it was one of those things. But learning God's design totally revamped the inside of me. And I... I now am delighted to be a woman. How many of you, those who couldn't put your hand up, that you've always delighted in being a woman, now you can delight in being a woman? Yes. It's one of those things of when the more we understand God's design, the more we can revel in that design. So um, tonight we are talking about made to shine and the created, how God created it, and kind of going a little bit, taking some of the scriptural references of how God created us. And the, um, the, in order to shine, we must rule. So that's, that's the first one is about ruling. God created you to rule. He created us to rule. Um, the, our foundational scripture that, we're, that we read last week, and we may read it every week, you may get tired of hearing the scripture but I really want it to resonate. It's so fundamental and foundational. And if we don't have a foundation to build on, then anything we build is going to be faulty. How many of you, what would happen if you went home and the foundation was gone out of your house? I mean, you don't go home and go, oh, great, my foundation is there. But if it's not there, you're sure going to notice. And I think... In a large part in our culture, and even in the church, we've lost the foundation of our identity. 
And unless we go back to that foundation, my mom had in her house, her, the, there were cracks in the house, and the doors weren't opening and closing right. The house began to shift because of the foundation was cracking and moving. And if we don't moor up our foundation, then our house will crumble. Our house will crack, the doors don't work, and it will eventually fall. So, um, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And y'all have that on your sheet, I believe. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. That means snakes and spiders too. So God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. You could say produce. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over, there's that together, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth, on the ground. Verse 26 is so pivotal to our identity. We talked about it last week. But being created in God's image, to be like the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, there's nothing else in all of creation that's created in the image of God. Have you really thought about that? How precious, how valuable that is, ladies. Last week we talked about no matter the studies you take or the counselors you go to or the books you read or... Any of these things, uh, looking inside, outside, going to a tree, whatever you do to look for identity that people do, if you don't find out the one in whom the image you're made in, you really don't know who you are. And so it's vital that we understand who God is, the one that we bear his image. We're created in his image. In the final analysis, they are not the foundation upon which our identity is created. They are just, they're secondary. They're an offshoot. They, they come out of what, what our identity is. So verse 26 says, in our image, to be like us. Verse 27, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So when you really want somebody to hear what you're saying... Do you ever find yourself repeating yourself? God's repeating himself here. And both times he's repeated himself, he's repeated himself. He said it's two different ways. So four times here he said that, that we're created in his image. And then what is the first thing he does after he creates man and woman? In verse, in verse uh, what is it? 28. Yeah. In verse 28, what does he do? He blesses them. This is huge. Because we're looking at his nature that we're created after. The first thing he does is bless them. After he creates them, he blesses them. In our lives, we are created to create. We're created in his image. So what are we creating? And what are we blessing? He didn't curse them. He blessed them. That's his heart. You are beloved. You are blessed. That is his heart. 
And when we see God this way, it revolutionizes how we see him, how we see ourselves, and how we see others. It really is a paradigm shift, ladies, in how we see. This one revelation of God's nature, of which you are created in the image of, it will totally revolutionize how you see, how you think, and how you walk. And then twice in there, God talks about ruling over. Two different times he says to rule over. And that just really stood out to me. So I looked up from Google, I looked up rule. The noun, a rule is one of a set of explicit or understood regulations or principles governing conduct within a particular activity or sphere. Okay, so th th that's what... A principle that operates within a particular sphere of knowledge, describing or prescribing what is possible or allowable. I mean, when you lay down the law, you give the rules to your kids, or you find out what the rules to a game are, there's an activity or a sphere that we have to rule over. A ruler has control of or dominion over an area or people. We're created to rule over. You're created to be rulers, ladies. Queens. When you rule, the verb says, when you rule, you exercise ultimate power or authority over an area and its people. You think of your home. You think of a classroom. You think of uh, so many different areas where we rule with, our, with the people, the area and the people. The synonym, syn synonyms, I thought, were... Interesting, govern, preside over, control, lead, run, head up, administer, manage, be in power. This is part of what it is to rule, to be in power, to be in control, to be in command of. Be in charge, to govern, to reign. So if you think of yourself in these areas of governing, of managing, of ruling, what is God giving you to govern, to manage, to rule? A ruler pronounces authoritatively. Um, and then rulers have a particular influence over. And the dictionary even said, a house, an aspect of life, etc., so what is it that you're ruling over? What are the, the people in that area? The only way we can effectively rule over anything is to be under God's rule. So do you see how that works? We're not ruling over and controlling and reigning for our own benefit, but we're, we're ruling and pronouncing authoritatively certain things as modeling the Lord under his rule and having these other areas that we rule over in our homes, um, with our children, with friends and friendships and, and work. And, you know, I think of Christy, you do hair. I mean, I have to get up every morning and rule over this, over this hair, you know. I mean, we, it's, we think of houses and we think of these big things, but it's, 
you know, it's over the food we eat. It's over the hair. You know, we get up in the morning and I've got to, I've got to rule over this thing here. <laughs> it's, it's so many areas. And every area that you have the authority to rule, there's so many different areas in there to subdue. And we'll get to that in just a minute. If you really want to be free, open your heart and your mind to understand God's true nature of love and grace. This is what sets us free. When we understand you are beloved, God loves you. He is not picking apart your life. He's not looking for your faults. Like when I got my ticket last week, you know, all he was concerned about is I was speeding. He didn't notice my prayer life or the things that I was doing or, you know, all of the different, the good things. He was concerned about the one bad thing that I was doing. And that's what the law does. That's why in Hebrews 8, 17, is it 8, 7, 7, 18, it says that he's disannulled the law. He's done away with the law. I mean, how many of you have kids? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and just start picking apart and finding all their faults? And all they do is tell you their faults? What do you want to do? You want to punch them out. I would. Ma Bear comes out. What do you mean? I think that's how God feels about us. And that's why he's done away with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He's no longer looking at us through the law, ladies. And I'll, I'm, I don't know how long God's going to have me beat that drum. But he's not looking at your faults. He's not looking at what you've done wrong. Jesus paid the price for all of our sin and our sins. It's done. He's, he's looking at you as the beloved. He adores you. You, you hang the moon for him. See yourself that way. Receive that into yourself, his love for you. Um, so really what we're studying goes back to a way of seeing, how we see. How will you choose to see? It's a choice. How we see is a choice. Matthew 6, 22 to 23 says in the, in the NLT, New Living Translation, it says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. What's God's called us to do in Isaiah 60? Arise and shine. If your eyes are full of light, you can arise and shine, ladies. You can shine in your homes, in schools. You can shine in your marriage. You can shine at work. You can shine with your kids. You can shine if your eyes are full of light, his truth. And verse 23, I think, is a perfect illustration of what it is to be deceived. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how great is the darkness? You know the trouble with being deceived? I mean, there's a lot. But one of the main ones is you don't know you're deceived. That's why we need each other. Speaking into our lives. Encouraging us. And the areas that we don't see. Our friends have our back, and they are let us know. Let's be teachable. Let's be open. Do you think there is deception in our culture or even the church about sexuality? Yeah. 
So how do we see? So our eyes and our body are filled with light. What does that take? How can we truly shine for his glory? If you're shining, truly shining, you're bringing God glory. Because true shining comes from truth. It comes from his truth. It comes from his love and his light in you, shining through you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Did I read this last week? I had it in my notes, but I don't think I got to it. I think I skipped over it. Does anybody remember? Did I do Romans 12, 1 and 2? Okay. Just check it to see if anybody was listening. <laughs> and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. All he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God transform you. You don't transform yourself, ladies. We can't. It only goes so far. Let God transform you. you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is where we change for the better. Letting God paint the truth of his love and design upon our hearts in the canvas of our lives. I even see a heart right here. Do you see this? Did you know it was there? And there's one there's another one right here. I knew you'd find one though. Yeah. Well I had to look at it this way to see it. God's love is everywhere, I'm telling you it is. It's everywhere. This this is how we shine with his glory, allowing him to paint his design on our life. Not the culture's design, not my parents' design, not what I think. It's allowing him to paint. Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and paint on the canvas of your life? Are you? Do you really want freedom? This is where we find freedom. Proverbs 23, 7 in the King James Version says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why it's so important you realize you're forgiven. You're loved. He's not looking at your sin. He's looking at you through the blood of Christ. And some of you, I feel it. Some of you don't believe it, but it's true. And until all of you believe it, I'm going to be talking about this. <laughs> You're going to hear it every week. He loves you. Because have you ever heard the saying that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care? And if you don't believe God cares for you and God loves you, then why do you want to know what he's saying? You have to believe that he loves you, ladies. He died for you. Once you know his love for you, then you can receive his truth. Then you can allow him to paint on the canvas of your life. How many of you remember last semester talking about the mindsets and how, how they affect how we, how we see? I was in an accident 
I had a midline shift. I didn't know it for almost two years that I had a midline shift, but it was affecting how I walked. It affected how I saw first. I could see the I could see the what, but I couldn't see the where. It was off. I was hitting my knuckles. I was I would walk. I would veer to the left, so I have, was always having to concentrate. If I got to the top of the stairs at night, I'd turn the lights out and I'd walk to the top of the stairs. I would I would panic. And I would walk way around the top of the stairs because I didn't want to fall down because I was always drifting to the left. I thought I was going crazy. I couldn't park straight. My husband would park and say, honey, you're a little too far this way. He'd say, no, I'm right on. I'd open the door. It's like, oh, you're right. I just thought I was going nuts. It's the same thing with sexuality. We see the what, but as a culture... And a lot in the church, we've lost the where it came from. We've lost it. And we have to get it back. We see the what. We've lost perspective of God's design. It's no big deal to change your hairstyle or to color it. All the different colors we have today, there's so many pretty colors that people are putting in their hair today. And then the highlights, the lowlights, the red, the blue, the green, the, you know, it's just kind of the thing. Well, that's really no big deal. But to change our sexuality, our sexual identity, like our hairstyle or the color of our hair, that's detrimental to a person, that's detrimental to a culture. And we have to regain and get that foundation back of God's design. <clears throat> There is so much gender confusion today that our young people especially don't have a grid. It brings, I mean, it's just not there. They, it leads to the loss of identity and purpose. I mean, you, as we go through this, you're going to see how much of our identity and our purpose is rooted, our glory is rooted in our femininity. We're all created equal in the Lord. We're all with equal value, men and women. But our glory goes back to our femininity. And men's glory goes back to their masculinity. And we'll learn more about that later. But if we don't have that, and if our young people don't have that, it leads to depression, loss of identity, loss of purpose, and potentially suicide. I think that's one of the reasons the suicide rate has gone up. They have no purpose. They have no identity. What's my purpose for living here anyhow? Our young people are breathing in the culture of today. It's this toxic air of, I mean, literally, and some of you know this, there are teachers in the room, that kids will come to school one day and say they're a boy. The next day they say they're a girl, and they dress to suit. I, I, it, it's crazy. It leads to hopelessness and emptiness, the lack of purpose. We must love them. We must live the truth. We must share the truth. We have to know the truth before we can share it, right? We have to understand God's design so that we can share it. It's not talked about. It's not politically correct to talk about sexuality from God's design anymore at all. And it hasn't been talked about for quite a while in the church at large for a long time. And this is where we end up with so much confusion about identity and who we are. Ladies, rule. This is an area that we need to rule in. God's design. Let me ask you this. When a baby is born and you know the mother's okay, what's usually the first question you ask? 
Then, once you know it's a boy or girl, what do you like to go do? Shop. <laughs> but if you don't know it's a boy or girl, you end up getting green or yellow, you know? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the trouble with having it. Well, used to be the trouble with having it before they were born. Now everybody knows it's a, what, a, a turtle or a hamburger? Is that the term? It's either a, I th first time I heard that, I said, what? Turtle? Hamburger? What's that mean? You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's the core. It's the, it's the core of who we are. And it's just like once you find out if it's a boy or a girl, you know how to shop. You know what cards to buy. You know whether to get ribbons and bows or footballs or, or, or athletic shoes or that type of thing. It's the same with you and me. When we understand at the core of who we are, then we know what to do with life. But until we understand God's design for femininity and masculinity, we don't know how to plug it all in. We're just kind of muddling through. It doesn't really make sense. Gender identity is formed in the heart and mind of God, not man. Remember that. Gender identity Masculinity, femininity, male, female, man, woman. Did man think of that? No, God created it. It was formed in his mind, and then he created it. Who are we, the clay, to say to the potter? We are all curious in some way about our humanity, our purpose, sexuality, and connection with God and others. I mean, we're all curious about these things. We want to know what is, I mean, kids are curious about their sexualities. They become aware of it. That's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. We need to have answers for them to be able to encourage them of what God's design is for their little bodies and their little spirits. As we study God's word to better understand his design for womanhood, we first look at the one in whom we are created in the image of and what his intentions are. How many of you have owner's manuals in your cars? What would happen if you had, if you drove a VW and had a dump truck owner's manual in your car? And you wanted to find out something about your car, or change the oil, or figure out the few, where the fuses are, or, you know, what the capacity, the load capacity is, or, you know, if you've got a dump truck manual and you're driving a VW, you're, you're really going to mess it up. You're not going to understand it. God has given us an owner's manual, each one of us, the word of God, for who we are as women. We're not men. We are women. And we have a specific glory in that. And as we embrace that glory, that's when we really shine. That's when we find freedom and joy and we can revel in our femininity. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, our foundational Bible verses God is calling us to align with his design. That's a phrase the Lord put in my heart several years ago. Align with his design. If we'll find his design and align, we will find freedom and joy and peace, even in the midst of the storms of life. And I really believe we're coming into a time where we're not going to find so much peace in the culture and peace around us, but we can have peace in Christ as we align with his design. The Holy Spirit is available to undo that which is not God's design in our life. 
and his Holy Spirit will work his design in us. He will come in and paint on the canvas of our lives. God is good. He is a giver, a helper. He's a mighty warrior on your behalf. He is jealous for you. And he's your biggest fan. Do you believe it? He's your biggest fan. He's your biggest encourager. As we come to this study, let's submit ourselves to God, his word and spirit's work in our lives. Really think about, am I open to the word of God? Am I open to the truth of the word of God? Even if it goes against how I was raised, even if it goes against what this book or that book is saying, even if it goes against what the culture is touting, Am I willing to receive God's design? That's a big challenge. Because if we're not willing, we won't find change in our lives. We're going to continue. What is, the, what is that they say the, um, the definition for insanity is? Yeah, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. May we be open to the Lord and his truth about anything that has been painted upon the canvas of our lives that is not from God, about ourselves, about others, and here's the thing, too, about God. You know, I know this might sound almost heretical, but I think religion is one of the biggest proponents of misrepresenting God. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I got saved in the Baptist Church. And then in my high school years, I started going to a full gospel church, charismatic church, whatever you want to call it. But until we get the truth, so I've had some unlearning to do. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I know everybody here doesn't, but my dad was so upset with me. I, try, I was sharing it with my grandmother and about ran me out of town. <laughs> to him that was so wrong but the Bible talks about it why can't we believe what the Bible says and so there's things that we have to unlearn and allow the Holy Spirit to undo in our lives so that he can put the truth in and we can walk in the truth and the power of his word he will identify it the thing is, when we allow him to come in and paint his design on our lives, this empowers you to be and do what God's created and called you to be and do. How many of you want to be and do what God's created you to be and do? We do. We all do. This is what we want. Y'all are, are, are here. You're, you have th other things you could be doing. You're hungry for God, for his truth. And as we allow that to work in our lives... You will be empowered. I've had so many women that, and probably you too, Phyllis, that if they've gone through the aspects, they, they don't feel like they've been put pigeonholed. I felt empowered. Women tend to feel empowered when they understand God's design. Barbara Mauser says, To rule means to make authoritative decisions regarding a matter's course and destiny. To rule means to make authoritative decisions regarding a matter's course and destiny. 
Think about that for your life and the area that God's given you to rule in. You're making authoritative decisions regarding matters, the course and the destiny. So to effectively rule over your domain, you must think of yourself as a decision maker. Think of yourself. I'm a decision maker. I can make decisions. A manager with authority. You've been given the authority to manage. You've been given the authority to rule. God gave that to you. In order to rule, we must have something to rule, right? I mean, if we don't have a domain, what do we have to rule? Your domain is any area under your, under your rule. What are some of the areas you have authority to make decisions in? Just what are some areas that y'all have? Home, family, finances. You go, girl. Anybody else have anything else that they rule over, or is Candace the only one? <laughs> Cooking, food, health, ourselves, children, how we drive. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's, huh? Thinking, our thoughts, our words. Yeah. These are all areas that we rule over. And so you take the home. In the home, there's what? Laundry, dishes, meals, all these different things that go in there. Um, pets, you know, our, our body, our hair, our clothes, exercise or not, or, you know, the, what goes in, what comes out, nutri- you know, nutrition. Uh, relationships, our parents, our siblings, our friends, our spouses, you know, um, these, are, these are all things. Our heart. Are we wholehearted? Are we half-hearted? Or are we heartless? What are we doing with the, the rulership of our own heart? Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. You're called to live in peace and always be thankful. That's a powerful verse. What we let happen or keep from happening is a big part of ruling, isn't it? I used to tell my kids, any more than I'm going to let y'all sit here and run each other down and argue, I wouldn't any more let a murder or burglar come through that front door to harm you. You're arguing, you're complaining, you're fighting. That will harm you. We can't allow that in our home. Now, if we need to talk about something, we can talk about it. But we're not going to argue, we're not going to complain. Are you letting the peace of God rule in your mind and life? Have you thought about that today? Am I letting the peace of God rule in my mind, in my life, in the circumstances? Do I feel, do I sense the peace of God in my life? He calls us to let it rule, his peace to rule in our lives. If you are, it will affect your home, your body, your relationships, your thoughts, your spirit, your heart. If we allow the peace of Christ to rule in these areas, it will affect us. This is ruling, choosing to have the rule of God in our mind, heart, and life. 
You are created to rule. Can we say that together? I want you, let's say together, I'm created to rule. I'm created to rule. Let's say it again. I'm created to rule. You are rulers. You're created to rule. What are we allowing to rule in our hearts, lives, and homes? Have you ever heard the phrase, not to decide is to decide? If you've done the aspects, you've heard it. <laughs> that stuck with me in 1999. I took it for the first time, and that keeps popping up in my life. Not to decide is to decide. To be honest, I've got a mess of papers on my, my desk. I was convicted as I prepared for this study. I've got all kinds of shine stuff everywhere. <laughs> papers everywhere stacked up. I need, I've got I've to take rule over them. But not to decide is to decide. If I decide not to do my laundry, what am I deciding to do? Not have clean clothes, wear dirty clothes. I had this picture one time when laundry piled up. I thought, gosh, if I don't do laundry, my husband and kids won't have clean clothes and they'll go outside naked. I need to do laundry. <laughs> Not that they would. But, you know, if you take something so far, <laughs> I thought laundry's important. <laughs> I don't want my family to go naked. <laughs> um. Yeah, part of my thought life. Sorry, you got in on it. <laughs> um, so not to decide is to decide in every area of our life, whether it's exercise or nutrition or clothes or dishes or sleep or how fast we drive, you know, all of these things. How does God rule? Well, he created. And then he empowered and then he blessed what is he calling us to create are we empowering those in our domain are we blessing those in our domain the first thing God does is give us something to do something to rule to emulate him and then blesses What are you creating with what God has given you? You're accountable for it. We're responsible for it. I've got a long way to go, but I've come a long way. I haven't arrived. I'm still learning and growing. This isn't about um, all that we haven't done. It's about where are we headed. It's about what are we learning? What are we applying? Um, let's see. In Genesis 1.28, God tells us to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. You could call it producing. The first meaning this passage is referring to is having children. Think about it, ladies. This is a sacred and miraculous way that God entrusts us to produce with him. It's a sacred entrust. To bring forth image bearers in his image. We'll talk more about giving life later. However, this is not the only way we produce. We produce through music. We produce through art. We produce 
um, and how we cook. We produce in so many ways, uh, training a horse or a dog. When I was a girl growing up, milking a cow. Um, if I didn't milk the cow fast enough, I missed the bus. <laughs> you know, um, and all the kids on the bus would say, ah! Robin missed the bus. I'm going up to the house with my milk bucket, you know. <laughs> so I got really fast at milking. <laughs> um, there's many ways that we can produce. Once we produce, God calls us to subdue. So this is all here in the Genesis 1, 26 to 28 mandate that he's given us. And subdue, to bring under control and keep under control by diligently maintaining it's not just maintaining. I mean, to maintain something, you don't just do it once, right? How many of you washed your hair and fixed it once? It's a daily thing. Sometimes it's multiple times during the day, depending on how windy it is. You know, it's, it's diligently maintaining. It's over and over and over again. I don't know. I mean, if you have kids, you tell them over and over and over and over and over again. You know, it's, it's diligently maintaining. Um, when our first son was born, uh, after a few months old, in order to just change his diaper, I had to subdue him. <laughs> Literally, I couldn't use the changing table. He was a strong little guy. I'd have to get him on the floor. I would sit on the floor. I would put my leg over this arm and a leg over this arm, and then I would try to change his diaper. I mean, he was a strong-willed little dude. I had to subdue him because I couldn't leave him with soiled diaper. We have to subdue these, these little critters in our homes. <laughs> Every morning, you know, we, have to, we, we, we get up and we look in the mirror and we realize what we need to subdue. Or at least I do. Subdue. We have to do our do. Just think of all the areas right now in your life, each one of you. Every area that you have to rule, there's areas that you have to subdue. This is part of ruling, is subduing. When I was a girl growing up on the farm, we had an acre garden. We had 25 acres, horses, cows, chickens, dogs, and a variety of things. But we had an acre garden, and we had to go in there and break up the fallow ground um, that would, so that we, the seeds could grow, pull the weeds so they didn't overgrow the crop, um, maintain it, keep the pesticides, the, the pests out. We had to take care of that. This is all part of diligently maintaining. Um, so that Why? So that it can produce. So... We rule, we subdue, we produce. And here's just a food for thought. Um, early in our marriage, my grandmother, we called her babe, my dad's side, uh, she was in, lived in North Carolina. We were in Colorado at the time. And in our conversation, she said, when you cook for your family, prepare your food as close to nature as possible. Not a lot of gravies and that type of thing. And, you know, that was a small statement, but it left a big imprint on my life. She was talking about God's design for food and cooking. Do you see food as a domain to rule? Or is food ruling you? I would have to say there was one point in my life I was a carboholic. Food ruled me. It's like I, I couldn't find my willpower anywhere. <laughs> and by God's grace, 
that's changed. I, I don't. I enjoy food, but it doesn't rule me anymore. It used to. Have you ever pondered the fact that with Adam and Eve, it was the fruit or produce of two different trees that they were to partake of, that they would live forever or die? Food. Who would have thought it would have been food? What tree are you eating out of? The tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Our thoughts are food. Food for thought. In the aspects, says God designed the world so men could complete what he started. As they complete what he started, their humanity is fulfilled and God is glorified. God designed the world so men could complete what he started. As they complete what he started, their humanity is fulfilled and God is glorified. Think about it in reverse. If we do not complete what God started, what happens to humanity and God's glory in the earth? We have entropy. It's a slow decline. Sometimes it's a fast decline. I don't know. Have you ever cleaned the house and mopped the floor and then all the kids and the dogs come home? That entropy happens pretty fast. <laughs> in one sense, a creation is a game of divine hide and seek. God has hidden incredible things in his universe. This is a glory to him. The great among us will search them out. This is a glory to us. Radio waves are something else God hid. They were here for thousands of years. Nobody knew it. Then they were discovered and turned into a worldwide communication network. Something Barbara talks about, ruling. What are we producing? We have to subdue in order to produce. Have you ever wondered why God first turned our attention to the world? It's the first thing he did after he created us. Birds of the air, fish of the sea, and all the little creatures that run around. If you think about it, it's what we're made of. We're made from the earth, right? It's the material, I mean... I'm just a bucket of dirt and water mixed together. Right? It's what we're made from. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, an individual, complete in body and spirit. And it's the spirit that brings life. We need the earth to sustain life. It's what we're made of. And it nurtures us. And the earth needs us. In Isaiah 45, it talks about that, 45, 18, of how the earth needs us. The world is where we first discover God. When a baby is born, it cannot understand the vastness of its parents. But over years of nurture, growth, and submitting to their authority, they discover the love, grace, and wisdom of their parents. Then it is their turn to be the parents and to bring one up in the image, to be an image bearer of the Lord and after them. The world, the home, it's a safe place. It's where we learn about God. We are compatible with the earth in what we need and what is produced in the way of 
of light, gravity, and the animals. We work together. We need the earth. The earth needs us. We work together. Our responsibility is to God first, then to that which is under our rule. I love what Barbara says here. The chief drives and motives of the mistress are to rule, succeed, accomplish, and produce. For herself, she wants God's approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. She wants the respect of others and self-respect. Based on fulfilling her duties and accomplishing her goals, she is responsible, dependable, organized, efficient, decisive, independent, persevering, and determined. These are words that are to describe us, to paint a picture of who we are. God has created you to be independently dependent upon him. God has created us to be independently dependent on him. So let me pray before worship. Lord, thank you that you doesn't call us to be independently dependent upon husbands or children or bank accounts or even the earth. Our bodies have no life without your spirit within us. Lord, we pray. I pray that each one here will see themselves as the rulers you created them to be under your rulership. That they would allow your Holy Spirit to align their minds and hearts with you and your design. Lord, we welcome you. The master painter. We see the sunrises. In the sunsets, you're the master painter. Would you come and paint your design upon our lives? We need you. We need your help. We need you, Holy Spirit, to show us the areas that are not God's truth and to align our lives with you. We are willing and we are open. Thank you for this time of of worshiping through your word and worshiping with music, Father. Work in our hearts, in Jesus' name.